Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Human Rights Magazine. In this episode of the Pathways to Peace series, I spoke with Livingston Sewanyana, the UN independent expert on the promotion of a democratic and equitable international order. The founder and executive director of the Foundation for Human Rights Initiative in Uganda. He's a lawyer with extensive scholarly background in human rights, governance, and access to justice. To begin our conversation, I asked him his thoughts on what determines a condition of peace. Uh, Derek, to me, peace, of course, conventionally, is the absence of war. But my understanding of peace is broad. It is all about ensuring harmony among people, within people, among societies and between countries and globally of harmony within and among community level, family level, societal level, national level, regional level, and globally. How then, how then can we proceed to achieve peace? What are the avenues that are open to us if we want to pursue a pathway to peace? I think the avenues include good governance, leadership, good leadership. We need leadership, leadership that is uh, sensitive to the aspirations of humankind, the aspirations of people. Leadership that is responsive to the needs and demands of everyone. Leadership that's accountable. Leadership that works towards uh, sustainable peace improvement. So the first important player or factor is leadership. The other important uh, factor is we need to cooperate across the world. That's the very essence of the United Nations, that there will be cooperation among people, among nations, among societies. There must be cooperation, and that can take different forms. Technical assistance, support, uh, international cooperation, of course, peace-building efforts. All this, this will, would help in, of course, uh, promoting peace. But beyond that, there have been several standards agreed upon, human rights standards across uh, globally, covering a range of issues, including rights of children, women, disabled persons, refugees. So there, there is need for commitment across nations and implement these internationally accepted standards. That's important. Then beyond that, we also need to denounce war. We need to denounce war because war definitely is a major player here. That means there must be an understanding across nations for peace building efforts. We need to convince nations that they, they, they need to live and collaborate and work together. So that is also important, denouncing war. 
But we also need to commit ourselves to working together within the United Nations. One of the challenges we face today, Derek, is the unilateralism of countries. Many countries want to work unilaterally and impose decisions sometimes that harm other nations. They engage in processes that lead to loss of lives and destruction of property. We need to embrace multilateralism because that is important for us to achieve global peace. There must be uh, a commitment towards multilateralism. For example, with the advent of COVID-19, there has been a sense of uh, vaccine nationalism where some countries felt the only way they would deal with uh, the pandemic is by ensuring universal vaccination of their people. Yet we all know that we are an interconnected world. People are traveling, they move from place to place, and unless there is universal access to the vaccine, it is not possible to eradicate the pandemic. So that is the sort of multilateralism I'm talking about. And they needed to denounce unilateralism and to work within the United Nations as a global village, a global community. But also it is important for us to, to aid one another, countries that cannot afford to meet the best living standards. They need assistance, technical assistance and cooperation. But, but even then, we need good governance. Countries in the global south, which need support in order to address the questions of poverty and hunger and insecurity, must practice good governance, respect for human rights and democracy. In so doing, we, we eliminate the possibilities of conflict and, and lack of peace. So if some of those factors are embraced, then we are likely to, to see peace uh, among nations, but within also families and within communities. There is an argument that the COVID-19 provided a way for national governments to reemerge in positions of leadership with the world engaged in a common uh, struggle where others had some people had seen the national governments stepping back from their role handing authority over to large corporations the argument for example in the united states where you know government is seen by many people as 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 a problem uh, but covid 19 was it a chance for government to reemerge and for cooperation internationally to, to, to grow. Do you think that that happened at all to any degree? I think it did because um, going by uh, experiences, you find in countries where there was good leadership, where governments, uh, you know, asserted themselves and took leadership and provided proper leadership, 
they were able to contain the pandemic rather early, especially those Scandinavian countries. And also, uh, I am aware that even the United States, there was a, a reemergence of some sense of nationalism. But that seemed to have been the first, uh, the first uh, initial, re the initial response, uh, where countries were looking inwards and looking forward to their governments of the problem until they realized that they could not do it alone. There was need for uh, common action. And that is when we started realizing, uh, you know, larger impact, as of course evidence today with the COVAX facility and others. And as more and more countries understood the necessity to cooperate and, and share vaccines, now we see uh, to a large extent nations coming to grips with the pandemic. So it, I think it is partly true that it was an opportunity to, for nations to uh, reemerge with their national governments. But I think it was, it was also to some extent uh, false for them to assume that they could handle it on their own. And they realized in the final analysis that they could only do so uh, with global, with international cooperation. So it, it, it was not easy, I imagine, for countries, but I think the, the whole idea of international cooperation stands true to date, that indeed uh, the, the vision for which the United Nations was established remains true up to today. We talk a little bit uh, about your experience in Uganda, your what what you have seen in in your human rights work there in your own country, are there lessons to be learned from what you have accomplished that could be more widely understood that would be beneficial? I engaged with human rights right from the university, and I have been uh, an activist ever since. There are certain lessons that I've learned that would be helpful. When the when when the COVID struck, it was it was a nightmare here, uh, as as our government struggled to impose standard operating procedures. Rights violations also took a center stage, as as the state became more repressive and oppressive, and took advantage of the situation. So one had to, to rethink, how do I deal with this in a context where rights are abridged because the, the state took advantage of the COVID and abridged rights and, and certainly uh, promoting rights was not easy. So one had to adopt new thinking, new approaches and new models in order to promote the ideals we all uh, cherish. The other lesson I have learned is that we need peer-to-peer -peer exchange. My, uh, over the last three decades, I have had the benefit of, of inter interfacing with many across the world. And I have learned lessons from others and I have replicated them in my own situation. And I found that as a very useful lesson. But besides that, I have also noted that states are very important players 
in realizing these values, norms, and aspirations. And we must constantly work towards good leadership, that without good leadership, it's almost impossible to attain these values. So part of the discourse involves agitating, advocating, and working towards a good leadership. And in that regard, one major lesson I've learned in my human rights work is the importance of elections and electoral democracy. Electoral democracy is so important. If you don't have free, fair, and inclusive elections, and you do not churn out leaders who are pro-people, who, who have an agenda for you know, common humanity, it's very difficult for you to advance these values. And, and, uh, and of course, another lesson is how to deal with militarism. I see problems in, in Myanmar. I see problems in, uh, uh, I think, in Eastern Europe, mainly Eastern Europe, even in South America and West Africa. I see a lot of militarism and how it has subordinated civil rights to the altar of their political experience. I've realized that uh, international financial institutions can be a key catalyst in promoting democracy and good governance and sustainable development, or in the alternative, can be a major player in undermining progress and development. And, and I think those are important lessons in my human rights discourse, and I have been able to take advantage of them. And I think uh, elsewhere, uh, they are applicable, they are as applicable in Uganda as they are applicable in any other society or social political setting. Well, we've covered a lot of ground in a short time. I'd like to ask perhaps as we wrap up, where, where do you feel there is uh, hope where do you feel there are significant concerns? What do, are you? A, are you in the end? Are you a hopeful person going forward, or do you find oh. too many problems lined up ahead of us? <laughs> this is a difficult. As one. I appreciate that uh, we are faced with daunting challenges, I believe in hope because without hope you are dead. You see, you must always live with hope. Hope is important for every scenario, whether you are facing a pandemic like COVID-19, whether the economy is, uh, is crumbling, whether you, you cannot make ends meet, whether you are facing a catastrophe, you must be hopeful. So I definitely see hope, one, that the world will overcome the pandemic sooner or later because it has rediscovered itself that with global cooperation, international cooperation and multilateralism, they definitely, we can overcome this pandemic because what we now need is global vaccination, universal vaccination, and, and definitely we are good to go. I have also hope that as the, as, as the youth, the digital revolution takes shape, uh, we are going to embrace more and more ways of working online, 
like we are doing now if we had if if we were to have this meeting like now uh we would be spending a lot but you can see we are achieving our end with virtually nothing you are in your own setting i'm in my own setting and the more we uh, we embrace uh universal access uh to the internet and the digital revolution i think we we are going to reap the benefits the benefits uh of uh you know uh this internet age i i am very optimistic that more and more people will embrace it and it will also contribute will reduce costs of doing business but i'm also concerned that the 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 world is not ready the world is not ready uh to address the growing problem of unemployment i think covid-19 has come with a very big challenge of uh, unemployment in our world here almost 80% of our youthful population are unemployed or unemployed and that causes a serious challenge it's a real dilemma and of course extortion and exploitation the few who have definitely take advantage of the majority who do not have and that sense of despondence uh, can actually uh, cr- create uh, a sense of unease among people so i i have hope as well as i i also have fear that the world needs to move faster to create uh, uh, an environment where the youth are gainfully employed if they are not going to be gainfully employed then we are likely to see more conflict and more uh, internal disturbances and even some of these challenges of terrorism if you look deeply into the question of the problem of terrorism think you agree with me that is mainly the youth who tend to be uh, manipulated to engage in terrorist or terrorist activities and that is a high cost to life of millions of people and we we are seeing this virtually in in very many parts of the world no 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 country is spared i mean we saw the other day a uh, norway faced a similar challenge i think france has a similar challenge the us uh, here in eastern africa there are many problems there are many instances of terrorism and it's basically the youth the unemployed who are manipulated to engage in these acts so that causes a bit of fear but overall i'm optimistic that together we together we can overcome thank you for listening to this episode of human rights magazine the podcast is brought to you by the upstream journal i invite you to consider supporting the program and the magazine with a contribution through paypal as you explore other episodes <laughs>